This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Honor the victims, celebrate the heroes. That's Genius Book Publishing's approach to true crime. Covering some of the most important cases in crime worldwide, our books never glorify the killers. From the Melissa Witt case all the way to the Golden State Killer and the Zodiac, if you're looking for solid, meticulously researched, thrilling true crime, look no further than Genius Book Publishing's catalog of titles. Visit GeniusTrueCrime.com for the best true crime books available. Also available on Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes. Hi, I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. We have some exciting news to share with you. We're headed to CrimeCon UK in London. That's right. We'll be attending the ultimate true crime event in London this summer on June 10th and 11th. CrimeCon UK promises to be an exciting event with over 50 hours of true crime content in areas such as cold cases, immersive experiences, the opportunity to learn from experts, and so much more. And speaking of so much more, while we're in London, we're also going to be attending the inaugural True Crime Award. We are so excited to attend the awards alongside dozens of other amazing advocates. And we're also honored to announce that the Deep Dark Secrets podcast has been shortlisted for Best Indie Podcast. Not only that, but LaDonna has also been shortlisted for Best New True Crime Writer for her book, The Girl I Never Knew. I am so excited. Me too. Keep a close eye on our social media for updates about CrimeCon UK and the True Crime Awards. And we'll see everyone in London. Lockhart. And I'm LaDonna Humphrey. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, a podcast that shines a light in some very dark places. Today, we're going to share an absolutely horrifying story, the violent murder of a kindergarten teacher by two vile, despicable fetishers. I'm a little shocked here about there being two, like a, a tag team, death fetish team. It's just, it's hit. It's disgusting. And you are not going to believe this. It was like a Bonnie and Clyde scenario. It's hard to believe, but that's exactly what happened to Noelle Paquette in 2013. Noelle went missing from Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, after leaving a New Year's Eve party. And according to witnesses, Noelle left the party abruptly after an argument with her boyfriend. And she attempted to walk home after her efforts to get a cab were just unsuscessful. Walking home in the night, not good. Yep, and that's where she runs into this death fetish duo. And as you can imagine, she doesn't come home. 
her family panics when she doesn't come home. And when all of their attempts fail to reach her, her family frantically calls authorities. Like, where did she go? She's just gone missing, you know? And police reports about Noelle's disappearance note that she was alive and well at 2.30 a.m. Because that's when she made her last phone call to her boyfriend. So from what I read from researching this case, they had argued back and forth. You know what it's like when you're mad at your boyfriend. You don't want to talk to him, but you do want to talk to him, right? There was some back and forth. I think he had some concerns that she had taken off walking, but they were still fighting. And so that was the last that anybody heard of Noelle. Just she went radio silent after that. So after a frantic search ensued by the family, friends, and law enforcement, I am so sad to report that Noelle's body was discovered just a short 24 hours later in a wooded area. And her family was devastated. I mean, this was this beautiful, loving kindergarten teacher. She had just had this little argument with her boyfriend and made this decision to go out walking and it ended up costing her her life and they recover her body then an autopsy was conducted and the medical examiner discovered that noelle had been stabbed almost 50 times alicia and the fatal stab wound actually pierced her heart Wow. So somebody had stabbed her that many times before it was fatal? That's so, so terrible. It's awful. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I also read extensively about this case. And one of the things that I discovered is that she was alive through almost all of those stab wounds. So can you imagine? That sounds so excruciatingly painful and torturous. When I think about her being in that situation, it's like the person on the other end of that is just an absolute monster to want to do that to another person that many times, to want to stab somebody that many times. Absolutely. And something that you said earlier, the person on the other end, it wasn't just one person, it was two. It was a death fetish duo that did this to this poor kindergarten teacher. And I personally find this story horrific and it's actually given me some nightmares. This is so scary. During the investigation, police had discovered that the sweet, kind kindergarten teacher had actually crossed paths with two people that night. And as you said before, we're just going to go ahead and call them what they are. They're violent, depraved, death fetish people, a death fetish couple, if you will. Their names were Tanya Bogdanovich and Michael McGregor. So Tanya and Michael since they'd crossed paths with Noelle, became immediate persons of interest in her murder. And the police, they remembered that there was actually an encounter with the couple the same night that Noelle disappeared. So they were talking to a police. According to the officer, Tanya and Michael had car trouble on the side of the road, and the policeman had stopped to assist them, and he discovered that Tanya and Michael literally had blood on their hands. Wait, what? Like, they were covered in blood? Yeah, they had blood on their hands. And this, of course, caused the officer to be suspicious. He started to question them about why the blood was there. And ironically, Tanya and Michael assured the officer that, quote-unquote, nobody had been murdered. Okay, they're waving the red flag right there. 
I mean, literally. They're covered in blood, and then they have to assure the officer that nobody had been murdered. Why didn't he detain them? It's hard to know why not, but they were lying to him. They they must have been pretty convincing. They told the police that they were just playing around with a knife. That's where the blood came from, not to worry. And, I mean... When you're coming up on a car with two people, I'm sure the officer was looking at the two of them, probably just trying to make sure that Tanya was okay and that Michael wasn't doing anything to her. So having both of them there and her saying, oh, don't worry, we were just playing with a knife. Well, this is why I'm not a police officer, because I'm telling you, had I rolled up on that scene and they told me the story and they had blood, I would have had both those son of a bitches in cuffs. And they could explain it to me later. But this is why I'm not a police officer. So here's here's LaDonna as a police officer. You're guilty and you're guilty and you're guilty too. (laughs) That's right. You, you, you. Go to the slammer. (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe that approach would have been better in this situation because they were released. Even though they literally had just murdered somebody and they had blood on their hands. So the officer, he believed what they told him. And that, you know, it's terrible because he could have just gooped him up that night. But they had to go through more of an investigation there to get to that point. And as the investigation unfolded, authorities learned that Noelle, when she left the New Year's Eve party, that she was upset, like we said before, and that she was walking on foot. And she had actually been approached by Tanya and Michael. They drove her into the woods. And this is where they stabbed her all of those times, dozens and dozens of times. According to police reports and the autopsy report, Noelle fought very hard for her life. But eventually she succumbed to all of those violent stab wounds. Like, you can't can't live through that many stab wounds. Really sad. I don't even know what to say. This is awful. I just... I have a kiddo that's in kindergarten, and we love our kindergarten teacher. She's actually been the teacher for all of my other kids. And I just can't imagine losing her in that kind of attack. And I just, I don't know, the story just really resonated with me, Alicia. It just, murder is awful. And I'm not saying one murder is worse than the next, but just the fact that the sweet person, she was just described as this sweet, kind woman that loved kids, that she lost her life the way that she did. I don't know. It just bothers me. Yeah, it's hard to stomach any murder. But like you said, it's just um, when we think about kindergarten teachers specifically, it's a special kind of person that wants to work with kids that age. It really is. It is. And she didn't deserve this, you know. And I just think that Tanya and Michael, they were sick and twisted. I mean, they were just horrible, vile, evil people. And I keep thinking about sick and twisted when I was reading in this story. And what's ironic, I was thinking that, but in three different reports that I read about this crime, law enforcement are actually quoted as saying that very thing. They said that Tanya and Michael were sick and twisted. And they said the two people that murdered Noel did this as part of their plan to act out their rape forest fantasy. And what? Yeah, that part took my breath away, Alicia. I mean, how many rape forest fantasies have we seen inside the death fetish forums? There's tons of them. There's dozens and dozens. And to be honest, when I'm reading this about this couple and the rape forest and murderer fetish, I won't lie, it made me think of the Melissa Witt case. 
It made me think of the Melissa Trotter case. It made me think of the infamous Carl Coleman that we wrote about in our book, Strangled. It just brought back all of those memories of those things that we've seen. Yeah. If you're a depth fetish predator, a remote location like a forest is the perfect place for you to just act out all your violent fantasies and nobody's going to hear anyone screaming. You know, it's it's a place where you're alone and you can take your time doing terrible things to other people. And you're absolutely right to think of those other cases because they all have to do with the forest where either women were taken to the forest and dumped or they might have been raped in the forest or even, as you mentioned, Carl Coleman, the person that I encountered in the death fetish industry, he had an extensive background in forestry. So we know that this guy who's obsessed with strangling and death fetish pornography is spending tons of time in the woods. And it does. It seems like there there's something there with deep forest fantasies. I agree. And as I dug deeper into this crime, you're not going to believe this, but I discovered in court records that I read just how deranged this couple was. When they first met, Michael was 19 and Tanya was 31. She was a mother of three. Okay, so she had kiddos and they met on a sex bondage site. And from there, you know, they say their version is that they immediately bonded and began to reveal their strange and dark death fetishes to each other. And they did this through a variety of ways that I think that you'll find interesting. They admitted to character role play. They admitted to hundreds and hundreds of manips. And they admitted to participating in what they called raunchy death fetish blog talk. Yeah, these guys are fetishers through and through. They are part of the death fetish community. They do all the things that the fetishers do. Absolutely. So they bond over all this. And eventually this murderous couple, they begin to decide that they want to take their fantasy. And these are things that they actually said to each other. They want to take their fantasy and they want to take it a step further. They wanted to make their fetish dreams a reality. And so it's so gross to me that people would call these dreams. I have a dream to murder a woman in the woods. Like yeah. that is not a dream. Yeah, I, I have a dream of murdering a kindergarten teacher and stabbing her 50 times. I mean, I just it infuriates me. These places on the Internet, these death fetish forums, these death fetish websites, they shouldn't be allowed to exist because people like this couple are spending time in there and it's fueling their desire to rape, torture, and murder people. I mean, there's It makes them think that it's normal and right. it's not. There's no way around it. It does. It normalizes it. And they're wanting to take these fetish dreams, you know, to the next step to reality. And I started reading through statements that they gave to police and they had decided that their first choice for a victim was going to be a local teenage girl. Okay. <gasps> Yes. I mean, that's just infuriating that we're getting into the child porn thing again. That's right. And in fact, as a gift for Michael, his girlfriend, she had given him, she had put together this collage of online photos of local girls that she had found on Facebook. Okay. These were girls that she said were going to make great victims. She presented this gift to Michael on like a digital picture frame and she gave it to him just weeks before the murder took place. And that frame was still in his damn backpack after he was arrested. That's chilling to think like you could look through that and just see he was just going to pick out a girl from there. And those were all real girls in their community. 
Yeah, it's, I know I say mind blowing a lot. I don't know what other verbiage to use. That does blow my mind. It's really, really scary. And it's frightening to think that these two were obsessing about the murder of local girls for a long time, you know, even going as far as to carrying their photos around. And on New Year's Eve, when they stumbled upon Noel, which was just an accident, these two fetish freaks, they seized the opportunity to go ahead and make that leap from fantasy to reality. It didn't even matter to them, Alicia, that Noel wasn't their intended target. They were so set on murder and mayhem and so wrapped up in this disgusting fetish that they just took the opportunity to kill the first girl that they came across. And I hope that that scares the hell out of our listeners to really see just how much these death fetishes actually escalate in people like Michael and his girlfriend and all of the other cases that we that we cover. It goes from zero to murder really, really, really quickly. Yeah, it really bothers me that the members of these communities continue to argue that it can just be a fantasy. I don't care if it is just a fantasy for three weeks or three months or three years. You're playing a very dangerous game by having that on your mind, in the back of your mind, by spending all your free time role-playing murder situations. It's just you're programming your brain to think that's normal. And then you might be driving down the street one day and see a girl alone. And yeah, I think you just click over just like Tanya and Michael, and you just become an opportunist because your brain is so used to thinking about these scenarios over and over again and wanting and, you know, jaying off to the idea of it. I just don't think anybody fantasizing about this is safe. No, that is why we have to stop violent porn. It's really a slippery slope, and some people can hold off those urges for years, but there's a lot of people that finally follow through with these ideas, just like Tonya and Michael. I think that our listeners should be glad to know that this couple didn't get away with this crime. I'm glad they didn't get away with it. They were convicted of Noel's murder, and each of them got a life sentence. Good. And I'm thankful for that. They deserve They and- more than deserve that. I mean, they think about that. And I go back to just thinking about my own kiddo who just loves her kindergarten teacher so much. So this not only impacted her family and friends, can you imagine her students, these little bitty kids who are just starting out in life, who their first experience at school is with their kindergarten teacher, finding out that she's been murdered? I mean, obviously, they're not going to know the details. And maybe their parents don't even use the word murder. But knowing that she passes away, how heartbreaking that would be for them and how that would change their worldview and just their little lives. It makes me really, really sad. Yeah, Noelle was touching many lives in a positive way. And what were these two doing? It's just, I find it so unfair. And I feel this way about a lot of murders, but it's really unfair that they were able to take this person off this earth and then they're here rotting in jail. It just makes me angry. When I was reading court documents and then the news report I saw that both of them actually did go on to apologize publicly to Noel's family. And what do you mean? I'm sorry that I did that. I'm sorry that I uh, stabbed your loved one 50 times. I mean, how do you apologize for that? Yeah, it's completely reprehensible. You can never, ever apologize for the brutal kidnapping, rape, and 
stabbing of someone's family member. Well, I was reading, too, where others had heard this apology and they said that it wasn't really sincere, that there, it was almost like just going through the motions. Yes, there were some tears involved when they did apologize, but it wasn't really for Noel. It was more like, hey, I'm being punished for this crime. I don't think that it was very serious. I think it was like, yeah, I'm sorry I did it. Like, because this is ruining my life now. And that really just pissed me off because it would have been better for them to just have said nothing than, oops, sorry, I acted out my death fetish. My bad. It's awful and shame on them. Roger Paquette, who was Noelle's father, described her. He talked about how beautiful inside and out she was, how strong-willed she was and how he believed you know that she had fought for her life and that she didn't deserve what had happened to her and that their family was never going to be the same because these two fetishers had decided that it was their right to take her life and I was really saddened reading that because I can't imagine how devastating that would be to lose a loved one in that kind of and a then violent to find crime. out yeah and then to find out the reason behind it it's just like it makes me angry that somebody would feel entitled to that experience. Like, Noelle has a whole life to live, and your little role-playing fantasy is more important than that? Like, no, I don't think so. There's no way to lessen how vicious this murderer was. Even just going back to the coroner's report that had stated that Noelle was alive through most of the attack. She was, you know, aware of what was happening alive. She was getting stabbed again and again by this couple. I can't imagine how painful that was and how confused she must have been about why these people are doing this. It's just, uh, you know, this is a, one of the more vicious crimes that we've seen. None of the ways that death fetish predators murder people are okay, but this feels like really, really vicious. Yeah, it feels disgusting. And this was a crime that they had thought about for a really long time, Alicia. It wasn't like that there was just some spur of the moment thing happened and they had this struggle with Noelle and ended up killing her. This was something that they were actively seeking. That's premeditated murder. If it wasn't Noelle, they were like a ticking time bomb. They would have just snatched up any person in the community or one of those women in the slideshow that they had there. So it's crazy to think that they had already decided they were going to do that. Well, yes, they planned to murder someone. They wanted to kidnap, rape, torture, and murder a victim. This is what they lived for. It's just a classic example of how dangerous this kind of role-playing, this kind of pornography, manipulating photographs in this way, these fantasies are just, they're really dangerous. Even Michael's own defense lawyer agrees. Listen to the statement, LaDonna, that he made to the media. He says, Internet pornography has an inherent danger. Certainly, this is not run-of-the-mill pornography. But anybody who says that pornography has no effect on people, has no inherent danger to people, is simply wrong, as this case clearly shows. So even this dirtbag's own attorney is speaking out about how violent porn is dangerous. Wow. I love that he said those things because that's true. And those are things that we say week after week after week on this podcast. Violent porn is dangerous. And we see it again and again and again with every episode. And I have to continue to stand on my soapbox and say, we have to find a way to stop violent pornography. We have to find a way to eradicate these dangerous 
evil death fetish forums and websites online. And if we don't, women are going to die. If we don't do this, if somebody doesn't do this, if we don't all stand together and find a way to do this, there are going to be more and more young men who grow up watching these kinds of porn and thinking that this is okay to watch, it's okay to think about, it's okay to want to do, and that it's normal. We cannot allow that to happen. And that starts with removing the pornography from the internet, with just saying that this is not a kind of content that's safe for anybody to watch. And we have to keep bringing up all these cases that we find so people understand it's not just an opinion we have. Like, look at all these people that are out there acting out these fantasies after watching them on the computer for a while. Exactly. I am so incensed by this. I mean, it makes me want to make a sign and stand on the steps of the Capitol and start screaming, stop violent porn, stop violent porn, stop violent porn. So people will say, what the heck is this lady doing? And I just (laughs) want them to pay attention to what is happening because they have the power, right? They have the power to enact tougher legislation that can save the next girl. I I mean, I'll get off my soapbox now, but This gets me 50 kinds of riled up. Well, I think it's important for everybody to remember or, you know, to understand that the Supreme Court has ruled that transmitting obscenity and child pornography, whether it's on the Internet or, a you know, a DVD, however you do it, if you're transmitting it, it's illegal, federally illegal. And obscenity is not one of our protected rights. It's not protected under the First Amendment. It's not part of our free speech. It really does violate federal obscenity laws to be making films like this. It's a criminal offense to make a film where you're showing something that the community as a whole would deem offensive. And the U.S. courts use a three-pronged test that they call the Miller test to help them decide if material is obscene. Because obviously, my idea of obscene might be different than my neighbor's idea of obscene. But obscenity is defined as anything that fits the criteria of the Miller test, which, for example, could be visual depictions, spoken words, or written text that are offensive to a community on the whole. So it's really subjective. But if we can say that we as a nation find this very offensive to be watching some guy having sex with a dead body and it being sold for 20 bucks on a website, then we can make a change. Absolutely. And Alicia, our current laws, I know you know this, but our current laws in the United States, they have to be strengthened. We need strong, loophole-free federal laws that are regularly enforced. I think that's critical. In order to make that happen, we have to unite with people all across the United States. We need citizens from across the country to stand up and demand the end to violence, to the degradation, to the victimization that flows from these despicable death fetish pornography films and from that industry as a whole. We have to link arms. We have to say no more. We have to say we're not going to allow this to happen to the next girl. We're not going to allow this crap to stay on the internet so it can seep into the lives of people who are going to take that fantasy the next step to reality. We have to do something. We have to take a stand. Yeah, we really do because Noel Paquette would 
probably not be gone from the people that love her most if these two death fetishers didn't have that inspirational content to start obsessing about. So we really do feel that it's important and that it will save lives for all of us to band together and stop violent porn. So we just need you, our listeners, to join us in that effort. Share our podcast with people who have never heard about it. And please visit our website at deepdarksecretspodcast.com and go on over to the advocacy link. It'll be in the top bar. You'll see advocacy. Click on it. Scroll down to the middle of the page. You're going to see a petition there that is one we've created. We need people to sign it so that we can approach lawmakers and say, look, there's a lot of us that are outraged by this. It's dangerous. And we need to tweak the federal obscenity laws to be more enforced. So just go ahead and sign that petition if you could. It's only going to take you a few seconds out of your day, and it helps us immensely. Every signature helps us show that there's an army of us and that we demand that our federal laws are strengthened and enforced. That's right. And the Signing that petition, I cannot say it enough. It does make a difference. You, the listener, can help us put a stop to these vile websites that are feeding the minds of people like Tanya and Michael and that encourage them to kill and to glorify the murder of innocent women. You can make a difference just by signing the petition. Every signature that we get is a reminder to the families of those victims, the ones that have lost loved ones to these violent, horrific death fetish crimes. It reminds them that they are not alone and that their loved one is not forgotten. That's super important. It really is. Alicia, I think as much as we need to expose the violence that is happening and expose the producers and expose the murderers, I also want people to remember on the other end of it are families that have been victimized. They've lost loved ones and we must never forget those people. They were loved. They had their whole lives ahead of them. They meant something to their family and their friends and to their community. And I always want us to remember the victims. And I think signing that petition does that. It does that very thing. It sends that message of we care. We don't believe this should have happened and we can't bring your loved one back, but we can prevent it from happening again. Yeah, I'm with you. I always feel like that is the best thing that you can do is to take some sort of tragedy and say, we're not going to let this happen anymore. We need to find a way that no other family should have to experience that. And so that petition is our way of working towards that for other families. So thank you so much for listening today. Thanks for tuning in. And we will definitely be slinging out another episode next Monday. So tune in then as we reveal more atrocities from this disgusting community, the death fetish community. And as always, if you have a deep, dark secret about this community, about other communities, please reach out to us. We would be happy to help you uncover it. Just go ahead and visit our website at deepdarksecretspodcast.com and send us a message. And remember, stay safe, everyone, and keep your lights on. For exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes, head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets. Sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode.